Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Good to be worshipping with you this morning. My name's Josh, if we haven't met, and I get to serve on the pastoral team here in Grace Life Church. I love Jesus. I don't know about you. Hey, listen, if you haven't been to a church service before, maybe it's been a long time coming. Uh, Just want to put it out there. Jesus is good. He's for you. He loves you. He's given his life for you, and he opens and he says, will you embrace me? I'm waiting for you. There'll be an opportunity toward the end of the service to say yes to Jesus. We'll also have a time of communion being the first Sunday of the month. I know we did it last Sunday, but yeah, we're doing it again today. Hullabadoozy for that one. And, um, and an opportunity given before you leave to say yes to Jesus. Now, uh, yes, you would have heard on church news that we are just starting a series on Galatians. In fact, it's a 12-week series. We're going for three months. And we're going to spend uh, uh, being covered over two Sundays so we're starting on the very beginning. I'm going to be a little bit foundational today, and then we're going to keep delving into um, chapter by chapter every single week. I want to encourage you, if you have not yet begun, get into Galatians, come ready, do your homework. And uh, so we've got some momentum as we gather on Sundays. And uh, we have one of our pastors is a wonderful poet. That pastor's name is Pastor Bob Stevens, and he's done a little poem for us. He sent me a poem. Can you just share it on Sunday? This should be fun. There he is. You're right, Bish? I call him Bishop. Pastor Bob was the pastor of our church a couple of generations ago. Pastor Bob handed over to Pastor Phil, his son who handed over to myself. And Pastor Bob, you were pastoring our church for how many years? 30. Is it 30? Let's just go with 30. Three decades. That'll work. (laughs) All right. Now, why don't you read to us, my friend? Yeah, I read meeting on uh, on Monday, Pastor Josh told us that, can you get that Pete? Yeah. (laughs) Brilliant. I love this guy. (laughs) Yeah, so Pastor Josh told us, you know, that we were going to get into Galatians and that, you know, he'd been looking into it. So I Monday, I read the whole of the Galatians in the Message Bible. And then Margaret and I went shopping at the Spud Shed on Tuesday. I mean, when I say shopping, she does the shopping. I sit in the car and uh, waiting for her. And as I waited for her, I got my notebook out and I just wrote this poem about Galatians. And so here it is. Uh, Galatians by Robert H. Stevenson. That's me. (laughs) Paul wrote a letter to some folk in churches called Galatian. He wrote them to correct this trend that working earned salvation. Paul was so niffed about this trend, promoted by false teachers, he spoke a curse upon them all, as if on evil creatures. These teachers were the Jewish kind to spy out freedom 
imposing rules on Gentile folk, insisting that you need them. <laughs> These rites and rules, as well as faith, they said, brought you salvation. On top of that, you also had this thing called circumcision. <laughs> so, <laughs> did all this good news God had given to portion apply to only Gentile folk, or was there some division? And did St. Peter take some blame in causing this division by eating with his Jewish mates, so proud of circumcision, yet cutting out the Gentile saints from eating meals together, as if the Jews were special folks who God was pleased to face? These questions were raised in the minds of Grace Life's pastor leaders. Is this the good news we proclaim, this gospel, uh, sorry, the gospel God would feed us? Is this good news that we now preach right here on Grace Life campus? Is it what really is the truth that Jesus died? Well, when we meet the next few weeks and look into Galatians, we'll find out if we're right on track to be all grace-type Christians. Or are we grace plus works the kind? Or somewhere in between them? We'll sure find out where we are at when pastors solve this problem. God bless you. Yes, I... I will pray. Can I just sit down while I'm praying? <clears throat> I will pray. And I, I, as we pray, can we pray for, for little Nazareth Cool? She's, she's a leader on a, on a scripture union camp this week. And she's asked, asked us if we pray for her. And so, Father, we say thank you that we're able to share around the word of God today. Nation of the Holy Ghost. We thank you for the revelation of truth that has come to us, not just by mere education or just by going to some school or learning some book, but you've given us understanding and insight and revelation that could come no other way than by the Holy Spirit. And here we are living in that freedom and walking in it day by day. And so, Lord, we say thank you for that. And we ask you'll just keep your hand on little Nazareth and make her an instrument of blessing as, as, she, as, as people get magnetized to her, these young people, and come around her, Lord. Help her to put a deposit of what you've put into her, into them, and they'll come away absolutely transformed and changed after these five days of camp together. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Let's put our hands together. <laughs> Pastor Tree. Brilliant. Thanks for that. So um, uh, for those that don't know, the book of Galatians is a letter that Paul writes to a church that he planted. And he's coming to address some issues, particularly around the message of Jesus and uh, the gospel in its purest, simplest form and how that affects how the Christians were living and what they were being taught. So
when Paul went to plant this church on his first missionary journey, you can read, I think, in about Acts chapter 13 and 14, he plants this church and then he leaves. But there were some other, um, there were some other Christians that followed him after him, bringing in a bit of a different version of what that gospel message was about. Particularly core to the question was, is Jesus enough? Is he enough? Is the gospel of Jesus other things that we still need to adhere to, to follow through on that? So Paul then comes to address this. And as we give an overview, there's probably the first four chapters of this letter is all about God's goodness and what he's done and what that means for us. And the last two chapters are, well, how do we live in light of that? Are there responsibilities we have? Well, absolutely. But most importantly is the indicative. The indicative. What, 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 what can we learn? What is, what is shown to us? What has God done for us? Not what do we have to do for Him? Has it been done? Or have we got to do? Okay, I'm going to ask Em, if you can read for us, please, from the message. Thank you, Pastor Bob, for prefacing that today. We're going to read two versions. I'm going to read it uh, from the message first, from Galatians Chapter 1, from verse 1 through to verse 12, and then we're going to go uh, into ESV. Thanks, Em. I, Paul, and my companions in faith here, send greetings to the Galatian churches. My authority for writing to you does not come from any popular vote of the people, nor does it come through the appointment of some human higher up. It comes directly from Jesus the Messiah and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. I'm God commissioned, so I greet you with the great words, grace and peace of these words, because Jesus Christ rescued us from this evil world we're in by offering himself as a sacrifice for our sins. God's plan is that we will all experience that rescue. Glory to God forever. Oh, yes. I can't believe your fickleness. How easily you have turned traitor to him who called you by the grace of Christ by embracing a variant message. It is not a minor variation, you know. It's an alien message, a no message, a lie about God. Those who are provoking this agitation among you are turning the message of Christ on its head. Let me be blunt. If one of us, even if an angel from heaven, were to preach something other than what we preached originally, let him be cursed. I said it once, I'll say it again. If anyone, regardless of reputation or credential, other than what you received originally, let him be cursed. Do you think I speak this strongly in order to manipulate crowds or curry favour with God or get popular applause? If my goal was popularity, I wouldn't, be, wouldn't bother being Christ's slave. Know this, I am most emphatic here, friends. This great message I delivered to you is not mere human optimism. I didn't receive it through the traditions and I wasn't taught. I got it straight from God, received the message directly from Jesus Christ. Wonderful, thank you. Isn't that a good way that Eugene Peterson puts that? Uh, so Paul starts this letter to a church that he planted and he, as you would in letters, particularly in that time, 
you would give an overview of, uh, of, of greeting and who's actually writing the letter. You would do that at the beginning, not at the end, but at the beginning is where he, he wishes them well. He says, grace to you. And what he doesn't do at the first part of the letter, very important, he doesn't say, hey, I've just been wondering about you. I've been praying for you. Don't you know you've been on my mind the whole time? The first thing he says is, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. We would have heard in the message, how could you be so fickle? He cracks the whip straight off the bat. He means business. Verse 6, it says in, the, in a more literal translation, it says, I'm so astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach, let him be accursed. It's a strong word. That word is anathema. As we have said before, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Again, that word anathema, which can be uh, defined as damned. If someone comes to preach to you a gospel which is different, a perversion, a distortion, to, to the God of Jesus, may that person be God damned. He's not mucking around here. Anathema, accursed. If you're taking notes, you should write this down. When you change the gospel, you reduce its power. When you change the gospel, you reduce its power. Core message here, don't mess with the gospel. It it doesn't need us to detract from it in its purest form. It is the power of God under salvation for everyone that believes. This is a key scripture for us. In Romans, we can find this. In Romans chapter 1 and verse uh, 16. It is the power of God for salvation to all who work really hard. To all who adhere. So Paul comes, plants a church, and he says, I want you to know something. Jesus died for our sins. And he was brought back to life. We even see in the preceding verses him alluding to this. In verse 4 it says, he gave himself for our sins. Previous to that in verse 2, it says, uh, sorry, it says in verse uh, 1, through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So right before that, he for our sins and God raised him to life. The gospel in its purest form is the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sin and for my sin. And he was not left in the grave, but he conquered sin and Satan and hell and death. He is alive and he is well today. And by believing in that truth, in that reality, the finished, completed work of the cross, we then share it. You need do nothing more. You cannot add anything to that beauty. When something's beautiful, when something's perfect, don't touch it. You take from it. Don't mess with the gospel. And so, 
we had some Christians here follow after Paul and, and say, there are Jewish Christians here following after Paul, saying, yeah, well, what Paul is saying about this message, tough, right, but you still need to adhere to the good stuff. You've got to do the stuff. You, you, you need to adhere to the, to the law. You need to um, uphold the, the eating certain foods in certain ways. You need to uphold the Sabbath. You need to go through with circumcision, you know, that really uncomfortable, awkward, painful event that somehow makes us right with God. These guys are trying to convince this church. And Paul's like, you guys, how could you never move back to this? You've been saved from this. If anyone teaches you, comes to you, and preaches to you a message that says you can earn your salvation, you can earn this place of righteousness, this right standing relationship, that you could earn it, that person needs to be accursed, damned. Even if an angel appears to you, even if I that verse there, Mormons might like to take out the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because they believe in about 1823, I think September 21, 1823, that an angel appeared to Joseph Smith with these golden plates and gave an update to the gospel. Check it out, the golden plates. I have the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. The latter day, the later day saints. And so, as an example, there are, are people that, that believe a version of Jesus or a version of the gospel but think that we can earn our salvation. I'll go door knocking for two years. I'll do my mission. I'll do my thing. But we shouldn't think or consider that we don't sometimes fall into this trap. Because we live in a world that teaches us you've got to earn your way through life. That's contrary to the gospel. This is why the gospel is so different. This is why grace is so profound. C.S. Lewis says that grace is the key defining differential between what we believe as Christians and all other faiths. You cannot earn it. You can't do it. Why? It's already, it's already been done for you. The unadulterated gospel is enough because Jesus is enough. Gospel is the good news of what Christ has done for us, not what we do for him. We are saved by grace through faith, through believing. In um, Corinthians, uh, verse 15 and verse 3 to 5, he sums it up just in a couple of verses. This is the core of the gospel. I delivered to you as of first importance, not second, not third, not fourth, first importance. First importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve and then it goes on to say that he appeared to a lot more people as well. As testimony that he's alive. And this is important for us. At the outset of this series that we understand the gospel is enough. It's enough for you. 
And, and, and notice that he says, if anyone else comes to preach to you, gospel is not something that we get preached to or about. We discuss once and then we graduate from it. The gospel or the good news of this is something that we continue to preach to one another continually. You don't graduate from the gospel message. This is something that we feed off day in, day out, all the time. Because as Brett had already rightfully said, we are saved and we are being saved and we will be saved. We are continually moving from glory to glory by the power of the Spirit who works within us because of this glorious gospel that Jesus has done. He's finished. He's... I get that we like to pray, God, you've got to do this for me. Sometimes I think God's up there saying, hey, I've already done it. I did it 2,000 years ago. Remember that, that hill? I've done it. There's nothing more I got up here. I don't have any other kids. Son, I'll send him down. <laughs> he said everything. And grace is free for you. It didn't come cheap to him, but it's free for you. So we're called to do this, to repent and believe. That is repent. Change the way that we think and say, yes, I believe. We cannot earn our ways into, God good, into God's good books. Can't be done. Done for us. And if we say, yes, Lord, I give you my mess, my sin, my shame, my guilt. I say, thank you for perfection that has been won for me on a cross. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Very simple, very pure, but let's not add to it. And so, Paul comes down hard and he says, you please, don't, please don't think that the gospel needs anything added to it or taken from it. It's just the gospel. Which means for us, perhaps, it's not the prosperity gospel. It's just the gospel. It's not the word of faith gospel. It's just the gospel. It's not the social justice gospel. It's just the gospel. The gospel's enough. Jesus is enough. That message is enough. It's, it's God's idea. We can read this later on. It's God's idea. I couldn't come up with this plan. You couldn't come up with this plan. This is foolishness. It's crazy that we could be saved by a God who would send his son to die for us. Who would come up with that strategic plan? Amen. That the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. So when we share the good news to one another, when we chew on that good news, um, we don't need to sell that with Jesus you get this and this and this and this and this. You'll get a bigger car, you'll get a better house. You know what? God can bless us with prosperity. He can do that and he absolutely does. But he's enough. He's enough. And so if we would only come to him, think, you know what, Jesus, if I've got nothing else but you, oh, I'm so grateful. <sighs> You're enough. You're all I need. I've been recently watching testimonies of people 
that have, uh, that have given their lives to Jesus but are still struggling with illness and sickness. And God brings these people to a place where they're like, I, I have what I never had before. I have this inner peace and joy that I never had before. And it all comes from just leaning or resting on Jesus. Like we sung in that new song, that's what it comes from. Does God want to take care of his kids? Absolutely he does. But he wants all of us to want all of him. And this is important for us. So no, it, either we're going to believe in doing or it being done. We're going to keep doing. I don't want to work at it. I was just thinking about it before. I was reminded of this scripture in Philippians 3. You don't have it there, Wes, but this is what Paul writes. <laughs> this is how strong Paul feels about grace and works. He says this in verse 2 of Philippians 3. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Talking about circumcision. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. That's, that's our works, right? Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks flesh, I have more. He goes on to describe. He's been circumcised. You know, he's, he knows his stuff. And then he goes down and he says in verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That word rubbish, you know what that word rubbish means? Dung. Poo-poo. Doo-doo. Doo-doo. We're talking about doo-doo. It's all been done. Don't worry about the doo-doos. It's all been done. And Paul comes so strong against this. And so the message that he preaches, he says, don't steer away from that truth. It's perfect as it is. Has anyone ever had a, a meal that they really love tampered with? You know, like, don't, just make, can you make this meal exactly the same, mum? Can you please not touch? I just want, when you cook it again, please. Oh, my son, I like to add some things. Experiment a little bit. Oh, man. I'm a KFC fan, right? I love KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken. I'm sure the Lord inspired Colonel Sanders to make that. Those 11 herbs and spices. Come on, you, you know where I'm going with this. There's the Holy Ghost coming in the room right now. I feel that. Anyway, I was about seven years old, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And I was, uh, my mum knew how much I loved KFC. And we'd get KFC once a fortnight because that's when payday was. And uh, we got takeaway once a fortnight. My kids haven't got a clue how good they've got it right now. They get takeout more than once a fortnight. Nevertheless, my mum had a bright idea one time. She watched an episode, I think it was either Oprah Winfrey back then or it was Donahue. Is he still alive, Donahue? Anyway, and what they did was they, they unveiled the recipe for the, the, the famous original recipe of Colonel Sanders for KFC. They shared it. They unpacked it on, on TV. Well, my mum got me all excited about this. I tell you what, I was, my, my lips were just watering, mouth-watering stuff as she's telling my son, I'm going to make her some KFC. She doesn't shake her head like this, really, but I, in, when I think of my mum, she does it. So, My son, I'm going to make her some KFC. 
Her accent's not like that either, but, you know, we'll do it for effect. She's actually Oka. She talks like me, mate. My son, I'm going to make you some KFC. Goes to the shops. She buys the ingredients. Keeps me in suspense. And after two hours of laborious love, she serves it up. I tasted that KFC. I felt like vomiting. I'm not even, that's not even a lie. I said, Mum, please, never do this again. Oh, my son. Ask her, she'll tell you. That's the story. That's... Sometimes what we try to do is we try to change, recreate. Why don't you go with it? You don't need to. Don't mess with KFC and don't mess with the gospel. And so how, how can we really know what the truth is? Well, spend time with the truth. Chew on the truth. Meditate on that truth. And the more you spend time chewing, meditating, contemplating, praying into something, spot out what's wrong. In this box, I have uh, two $50 notes. One's a real $50 note. And one is a fakie. It's a counterfeit. Let's see if you can pick it out. Here's the first one. Can you all see that one? Here's the first one. And here's the second one. Now, now hands up. <laughs> which one's the real one? And which one's the counterfeit? Oh, I got some clever cookies in the room today. You know... The counterfeit is clearly seen by studying the genuine article. This is actually a fact for people that, uh, that work in the fraud squad, that work with... They don't, they, they don't train themselves to pick up counterfeit items by looking at counterfeit notes or counterfeit checks. They look at the genuine article. And this is why it's important for us to know that we know that we know what's in here. and what, So that when I'm talking rubbish to you, you can smell it a mile away. We can all go on YouTube and we can find those sermons that tickle our ears and tell us what we think we want to. Puts us down the path of least resistance because we like messages that just make us feel warm and cuggly on the inside, right? But we've got to know the real thing. That's why Paul, Paul speaks clearly, firmly, directly. Why? Not because he opposes or hates the people he's writing, because he loves them so much. It takes so much love to speak as firmly as what Paul does, particularly around this issue. So know the gospel. Bathe in the gospel. Look to it. Don't take away from it. And let it transform you from the inside out. This is why when I turn the news on at times, I just have to turn the news straight off. Because I'm like, that's a load of bulldust. And I can see a hidden agenda. I can see the bias. I can see the propaganda. And it seems as though Satan is trying to disciple the world into a certain pathway. I won't spend too much time on this. But I know God. And I know what the book says. And I know what individuals sound like and what they say. And little sound bites at times will pervert the truth, distort the message. Spend time knowing 
what it is you believe. Second point, if you know your identity, you can enjoy security. Know your identity. So let's read on. It says this in verse 10 very simply, for am I now seeking the approval of man or, or of God? Or man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul, he allows the message of the cross. He preaches Christ crucified. That's what he preaches. That Jesus died for our sins and he wasn't left in the grave, but he's alive today. Let's believe in that truth. He knows that. And because of that, and because it's got deep within his bones, he knows that he stands in the right place is already approved of. He has all the approval he needs. It comes from his father and it comes through Jesus. Paul knows this. That as the Father sees the Son, the Father now sees us who are in the Son. So as we are in the Son and the finished work of that cross, the Father now looks at us through these rose, crimson-colored glasses. He looked through the blood of Jesus. He sees beauty because we are caught Jesus. This is critically important to our understanding of our identity, that we are one in and with Jesus. Eternally, our union with Jesus. We are hidden with Christ in God. And Paul knows this. In fact, he goes so far to say, do you think I care about pleasing people? Do you think I care about people not liking me? Because he knows that he already has the approval he needs. That his father smiles on him and is for him. So don't base your value on the opinion of other people. Opinions are like armpits. We all have them, and most of them stink. <laughs> Paul doesn't care. He doesn't care. He cares God thinks about him than other people. <laughs> so here, in a sense, we've got to make a decision about who we're going to fear. Are we going to fear God or are we going to fear people? Now, the fear that we have of God is not something where we are petrified of Him harming us and hurting. No, I, I, I'm, scared. I'm too scared to be away from Him. I love Him that much. My fear of God is a healthy fear of God that I run to Him. But my fear of people causes me to run away from them. That's an un- You cannot fear both God and man simultaneously. Can't do it. You're either in one paradigm entirely or the next. And God says, come. Have a healthy fear of me. If you want to have a healthy fear of me, you won't care about what other people think. And at the core of that is our identity. I know that I'm a son. And at the end of the day, there are things and there are people at times that add to those anxieties. Uh, Social media has a lot to answer for because social media tends to heighten our narcissistic tendencies and add to our anxieties. There are a lot of studies that have been, particularly over the last two to three years, that, are sh- that is showing up social media. Is social media in and of itself a bad thing? Well, no, but it can be very harmful for our mental health and our sense of identity and security. Absolutely. Because what we're doing a lot of the time is we are projecting the best and we're hiding the rest. Oh, it's gone quiet all of a sudden. And what we do inadvertently is we look at what everyone else is projecting and we compare ourselves. Oh, and then we feel even worse about ourselves, which isn't going to help. For some of you, perhaps you've got to turn that thing off. Turn that thing off. For some of you, keep it on. Whatever rocks your socks. 
But be mindful. Be very, very, very mindful of where your security lies in Jesus. Don't live for the approval of other people. Here's what one, people, what one person says. The greatest prison people live in is the fear of what other people think. How true is that? So who do you live to please? Don't, don't have to answer out loud. Because who we live to please reveals our source. Where do you try and get your security from? People are fickle. They'll change on you in an instant. They'll, they'll slap you on the back and tell you how much they love you. Behind your back, they'll try and cancel you. That's the cancel culture of today. Everything's geared toward approval. What are the approval ratings? What are people saying? Oh, no, we've upset someone. We better take that person off the air. Oh, no, we've got to cancel their Twitter account. Oh, no, we... Oh, give me a break. I think most of us are so over political correctness anyway. Come on. And political correctness is symptomatic, in my opinion, of a fear to try and keep everybody happy. We need Jesus. That's the solution. We need Jesus. We all need him. Are you still with me? Let's read on. Minutes. And I'll continue this one on next week. Verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's pretty important. The depth of your revelation will inform the strength of your conviction. The depth of your revelation will inform the strength of your conviction. Paul can speak like this because if you know a bit of background about Paul, he was previously called Saul, came from Tarsus, and he was a first century terrorist for Christians. That's, that's actually what he was. He was a terrorist. He was a kill and or um, kick out the Christians from their places of worship, their place of residence. If he could have his way, he wanted Christianity to stop altogether. He was a terrorist. And so here Saul of Tarsus is on his, he's on his horse. That's because that's what horses are like. <laughs> He gets knocked off his horse in Acts chapter 9. And Pastor Brett says, God, uh, Jesus gave Saul of Tarsus a big slap on the forehead. And Jesus appears to Saul as a terrorist, confronts him. He goes blind from that moment, but something happens on the inside. There is a revelation that happens on the inside of Saul, which is within him. He goes into hiding for a while. For a few years, he goes away. For a few days, we see, and then a few years, and then he goes and he knows Jesus for himself. And because he was a man who was very aware of his sin, and he was so aware of what God had rescued him from, he now has this deep conviction saying, listen, take it from me. If anyone deserves death, 
And I've done nothing, but by His sovereign grace, I've been caught up in eternal life. I've done nothing to earn this, nothing to win this. I I couldn't say yes to Him except by His sovereignty and His providence coming and shaking me off my horse. And so Paul's message of grace is so strong and offensive that it upsets him. They have charges against him. He upset the apple cart, even in Christianity. Oh, I love that. I love that. So he comes a little bit heavy-handed with a heavy hand of love, and he says, guys, come back. Come back to the centrality of the truth of the gospel of grace found in Jesus. He's done it all. Paul says, I am a trophy of grace, and so are you. And what you believe is critical. Because what you will determine how you live tomorrow. And Paul says, get back to the gospel. How you think, how you feel, how you live. That'll affect what you think you need to do or not do. You're already in a right place. You're already in a great place. Right now, as it stands, not because you've done anything. Not because you go to church on a Sunday. Not because you read your Bible every day. Not because you put in the offering. Those things are good disciplines. Good acts of gratitude and worship. But you write as you ever will be. There's nothing you can do right now that you can cause God to love you anymore. And in the same way, there's nothing you can do that can cause Him to love you any less. Because He loves you entirely right now because of Jesus. So take responsibility for the source of your reality. Why do you believe what you believe? Paul says, hey, I didn't just learn this from someone else. God told And revelation informs transformation. Have you had a revelation of Jesus? Have you had a revelation of how good he really is? I tell you, he's better than you think he is. I don't know how good you think he is, but he's better than that. He's better than that. And he's enough. And to be a bit more personal with you, from my perspective, I've been challenged just as, as I've been thinking about this message. I, I know that Jesus is all I need, but at times I don't know if I know that he's all I want. So for me personally, I want Jesus to be all I need and all I want. That's just a conversation I keep having with him. Jesus, I know you're all I need, but would you help me? Your spirit within, help me on the inside out. Because I just, I just want to want you and that, nothing else. Because you're enough. You're enough. We're going to finish with the time of communion. I don't know where you're sitting with this message. and It's an opportunity for us to consider again the grace that we have. I want to finish Bonhoeffer. He says this, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, Grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. See, for us, grace is free, but it didn't come cheap. Perhaps you've heard of the acronym from GS, riches at Christ's expense.
cost Jesus. And when Jesus went on the cross, he did it once for all. Which means I don't need to put myself on there anymore. I, I don't need to do anything. Why, why should I? So I mess up. So I think something. I say something. I do something I shouldn't. Why do I need to drag myself over the coals and put myself And Jesus has already done that in a sense? By doing that, I'm saying, no, Jesus, what you did is not enough. When you said it was finished, did you actually mean it? He didn't say it is almost finished or it is mostly finished. He said it is finished. It's finished. How good is that? So I now stand in the reality of that belief. I repent. I change my thinking of self-righteousness. I believe. I stand and right. I am saved by faith because of grace. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.